Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Privacy, and the GDPR in particular, has captured the headlines in recent years, but it is only one element of a much larger legal and operational landscape that can expose companies and their officers to significant risk. Guy Seref and Aaron Eisline discuss some of the often overlooked information security issues that companies should be focusing on to ensure compliance and minimize risk in this dynamic landscape. Thank you for tuning into our podcast entitled Not Another GDPR Primer, Information Security and Privacy Issues That Should Be Keeping You Up at Night But Probably Aren't. My name is Erin Eisline, and with me is my colleague, Guy Sareff. We are attorneys here at Brownstein who practice in the areas of privacy law and data security. The genesis of this podcast came from the fact that we've noticed that CLEs in this area tend to focus on the privacy side of this issue and not the security side. Ironically, we've also noticed that the vast majority of breaches and hacks arise on the security side, and mostly from poor security hygiene. So we decided it would be useful to present some often overlooked security issues that should be the focus of your attention, but aren't. And today we're going to focus on three of these issues. The first one involves the scope of information that needs to be protected and secured. We often see our clients working to secure personal data, but not giving any consideration to the many other types of data that they have and that they should be securing. Guy, can you share with us why it's a problem for companies to focus solely on personal data? Yeah, absolutely. Personal data is, of course, the the thing that is topic of mind, right? With uh, with the things that hit the news, Uh, that's the things that people get excited about. But companies have so much more information. They have trade secrets. They have confidential information that if it gets out, it's worse for the company than if personal data got out. Um, And so. If we don't focus on those types of information as well, then we expose our clients to risk uh, because we've we've put all of our eggs in one basket. And the bad guys know this, too. We see information security breaches that are not always targeted at personal data. These obviously don't make the news because there's not a direct impact to the consumers. But these types of attacks, they can cause a business to lose their trade secrets. They can lead to competitive disadvantage, uh, especially if there's any type of espionage going on. Or it could simply be bad actors want to use your platform for something else. We've seen breaches where The target was never personal data. It was just the fact to get control of a website and take over a website. Uh, And so if you're not focusing on those types of issues, it's an outstanding liability that you have. And we saw some of that recently with hackers going after different schools. Um, They realized schools are quite vulnerable to cyber attacks because they lack the financial resources really to invest in cybersecurity. In fact, educational institutions received more malicious emails than any other sector in the first quarter of 2019. Um, And they're not seeking protected health information or personal information. Um, They're realizing there's value in holding the system for ransom, and they're trying to extract payment. 
In April, Louisiana actually declared a statewide emergency in response to ransomware attacks on three school districts. And this allowed the state to use state resources to provide cyber assistance uh, to help these districts. Schools in New York and Arizona were closed on the first day of school because of these attacks. And here in Colorado, there was an attack on a university in August. We think that the hack most likely came from outside of the United States, and it completely shut down their IT system for over two months. Um, Smartphones, devices were all being inundated with viruses and phishing emails, and it's been incredibly time-consuming and disruptive to that university's operations for a two-month period, which is just a substantial amount of time to um, to have your whole IT system down. And now I think they're going after cities. Right, exactly. So attackers look for soft targets, and once soft targets wise up and harden, they move on to the next softest target. Uh, And those next softest targets uh, recently have been municipalities. Uh, The city of Baltimore, the city of Atlanta, both have been subject to ransomware attacks. And these attacks can cripple uh, the the ability of a city to operate. In Baltimore, people couldn't pay their water bill. Uh, there were significant delays in real estate transactions, which had a significant uh, impact on that industry within that state. Titles can't clear. And the remediation uh, that, that comes about, uh, we saw in Atlanta, the remediation cost more than the ultimate ransom that was requested. They didn't pay the ransom, uh, but it cost more. Um, and it cost more by a long shot. Oh, by a long shot. Uh, a several X multiplier uh, for Atlanta. But where Atlanta is now hopefully set up, if, if things are done correctly, is they begin to protect themselves. Um, but a big lesson learned that I think may be lost in the shuffle uh, with Atlanta and with Baltimore is, yes, the current incident has been remedied, but a, a key thing that... Atlanta, Baltimore companies can do is to start to prepare for these new types of attacks, these ransomware attacks. It's boring, but BCDR, the business continuity and disaster recovery is huge. And that is the that that's the type of scenario that we should be preparing for in addition to preparing for the personal data breaches. Let's move on to everyone's favorite topic, insurance. Speaking of boring things, <laughs> Many of our clients simply renew their cyber liability policies annually as a matter of course without meaningfully reviewing their policy coverage and benefits. We're here to let you know that most companies aren't paying nearly enough attention to these policies. They don't know what they need, they almost always don't know what they have, and they're not using the benefits that they do have. Can you, Guy, can you tell us why companies should pay far more attention to their cyber liability insurance policies than they are? Yeah, of course. Uh, a, a lot of times with insurance policies, I know I do this with my own car insurance, my home insurance. Premium stayed the same. Excellent. Go ahead and sign. We'll renew. What we are seeing um, with with some cyber insurance policies, though, is that the way that that premium stays the same we think about it, how is the premium staying the same if the risks are increasing? And we know that they're increasing. The, the, the number of attacks increase, the sophistication of the attacks increase. So the only way to keep a premium the same with rising risks 
is to start to take away from the covered activities. Um, and that is that is frequently the case. Uh, what was covered yet last year may very well not be covered this year. And so it really is important, especially uh, w- with the cyber risk and the privacy, that you're paying attention to what your coverages are year over year uh, and ensuring that you know what you're covered for and where you may need to, to, to acquire extra protection. Another piece, and this has uh, been highlighted uh, a few times, especially coming out of New York, there is an act of war exception that is frequently included uh, within policies, right? If, if an act of war occurs, there's no coverage. Um, and this, this, this makes sense when, you, when we think about physical insurance and, and there's, there's good rationale. But what a lot of folks don't maybe recognize is that a cyber attack uh, can be declared as an act of war. And in fact, we saw this uh, with, with a few attacks uh, that have happened recently where because the communication that came out of the federal government indicated this was an act by state-sponsored attackers, that is declared an act of war and therefore the breach and the attack isn't covered by insurance, which leaves companies that otherwise thought that they were covered now left with a, a, an, an unforeseen liability. And so it's important to make sure that that act of war exception, if it is included within your policy, that you're aware of it uh, so that, again, you can plan and prepare. Um, or if you have the, the ability to negotiate the removal or the limitation of that act of war, something that can limit that scope, depending on how it uh, how the particular attack is communicated, because that's what the insurance company sees on. You also might not be as protected as you think you are. Cyber insurance, privacy risk insurance, those are two great products to have. Uh, I would recommend anybody that has any significant, and not even significant is a, is a loaded word there. Um, but if you have data to protect and you have something that is, is potentially uh, compromisable from an information security standpoint, those insurance policies should be standard. The other thing that we are starting to see is we are starting to see actions being taken against directors and officers. And so the DNO insurance that a company holds really should also address issues that arise out of privacy breaches, out of security breaches, uh, to ensure that you actually have the protection you think you have. Yeah, we're starting to see more litigation um, in terms of shareholder derivative actions where people are alleging that the directors knew of certain risks and didn't take adequate steps to ensure the company to protect, make sure the policies and procedures were in place. And so that's a real area that if your company hasn't looked recently at the scope of the DNO insurance, it would be wise to do so. And just because you have cyber liability insurance doesn't necessarily mean that you're covered anyway because they have specific requirements with them to make sure that you have good basic security hygiene. And so that's another piece that if you think you, know, you can check the box and have cyber liability insurance and take no other steps, you could be negating the benefits of that policy by not taking some simple steps to make sure that your company has good security practices in place. Another issue, too, that, Guy, I know you help clients with all the time, and it can actually be a benefit of a cyber liability insurance policy is a tabletop exercise. Can you tell us about how that interrelates with the policy? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the story on insurance is not all bad. Uh, many insurance companies, in a effort to protect themselves and to, to minimize risk, do offer certain services as part of a policy. And one of those are those tabletop exercises. And those are those are simulated events. You know, if X were to happen, what do we do? Um, and what and by doing that ahead of a breach instead of as a postmortem, you can start to identify some of your gaps. You can you, you can identify things that need to be addressed and also potential critical failures within your system. The benefit of utilizing an insurance company to help you with this is that if it's part of your policy already uh, and you don't use it, you may not have actually taken all steps uh, necessary to comply with your requirements. But in addition, and, and on a, a much you know more beneficial note, you benefit from the experience of an insurance company who is working with with vendors that. They've worked on these things with people in other industries. They've worked in other verticals. They know other situations that could arise that, because of your particular industry, you don't know about. Uh, and so there's a there's a huge benefit to, to taking advantage of some of those additional programs. So the third area we see that clients have more risk than they could imagine is with the way in which their internal reporting structures are organized. The good news is we're seeing companies moving away from the old school practice of designating the person who drew the short straw as the privacy officer or the security officer, or often both, irrespective of their qualifications to perform that role. And even though companies now have a chief information security officer and policies and procedures in place to address cybersecurity threats, those folks still may not have sufficient authority to discharge the duties being placed on them by this patchwork of privacy and security laws we're seeing nationally and internationally. Uh, Can you tell us, Guy, about why focusing on having an appropriate reporting structure can be so beneficial for a company? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the CISOs of the world, they they are there to provide the security, but oftentimes they can get buried. And the issue that that often arises is uh, when a CISO or a chief privacy officer or one of these tangential compliance and security related functions comes in, they're not the they're not the authority that determines bonuses. They're not the authority that determines schedules. They, they don't determine priorities from a business standpoint. And so oftentimes, if there is not the appropriate level of authority granted or apparent, their initiatives can sometimes fall to the bottom. Uh, but as we see relatively frequently, the activities and the initiatives that, that these people undertake are critical to success and they are critical to mitigating and minimizing risk that arises from uh, one of the biggest risks that businesses face these these days. And a really important thing that that I know that I've seen personally uh, working with clients and also in, in prior roles is the need that this come from the high on high. Uh, if a CISO doesn't have at least a dotted reporting line to the CEO, that presents some risk. The CEO may not know and appreciate the risk that the business faces outside of the operational day-to-day issues. But 
the critical failures uh, that can happen that can then spill over into those operational issues. Uh, it also sends the clear message. If, if your CEO or your, your senior executives are involved, it sends the message that this is important. All too often, and, and frankly, a lot of this is going to come from the fact that privacy, especially within the U.S., is somewhat of a new concept. I mean, we've been dealing with it since the 70s or so, but it, it is still within within the corporate structures. This is a new concept. Uh, and information security is, you know, it, it's starting to enter the common parlance, but it's not the day-to-day like other things that businesses do that employees are going to be aware of and employees are going to take to heart. If it's coming from senior leadership uh, and if there are clear, defined reporting roles, it builds out into the culture of the individual organizations. And that's key because security, privacy, these are all things that cannot be done in one silo. Uh, This has to be a cross-organizational culture that everybody appreciates it. Uh, they, they, They go through with it. I know in our own firm we're we're going through this now with uh, with increasing security and learning you know the, the the different things that we do. This affects every type of organization that's out there, uh, and so those reporting structures are also critical because that allows for the right things to bubble up to the right people. And we're seeing a, a scenario play out right now in New York. Where that didn't happen, this is, of course, uh, the the reason why donuts may cost more in the coming future. Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, Late September, early October, the New York AG filed suit against Dunkin' Donuts arising out of a fairly significant data breach. And this breach wound up impacting consumer-related accounts uh, within Dunkin' Donuts. And one of the key issues in the complaint, and of course, this is still at the complaint stage, we're, we're, we're taking all of this on its face, but the items in the complaint do raise some key issues as far as reporting. If a reporting structure is in place, it would be easy to say, and it's complied with, of course. Uh, it would be easy to say, eh, this probably didn't happen. But as it looks right now, um, it looks like breaches were known, but there was no impetus to raise the flag. There was no impetus to escalate. And instead, it was treated as this isn't much of an issue. Or this is something we can we, we, we don't need to be worried about because certain information isn't in place looking at it from the outside and seeing had this been escalated up through certain levels of management expectations are that there would have been a much different response from Duncan uh, than than what the New York AG alleges happened. Another issue with the Duncan Donuts case is that they had the policies and procedures in place. They had them done but they just didn't follow them. And so going to the concept of having reporting structures where somebody can bring an issue to a higher level is so important because had Duncan done something about this sooner, it wouldn't be in the hot water it's in right now, which is potentially going to trigger to other states because although this complaint is just with the New York Attorney General right now, there's many other states in which Dunkin' Donuts operates many of whom have attorneys general who are interested in being aggressive on consumer protection issues at the moment, 
like our Colorado attorney general is at the moment. And we could very well see this type of complaint being replicated in other states, increasing potential penalties to Dunkin' Donuts. And so it's a very expensive situation for Dunkin'. Well, exactly. And the Dunkin' case also highlights uh, that compliance with specific laws, uh, Gramley-Spliley if you're a financial institution, CCPA if you uh, operate in California, that may not be it. And it also highlights that uh, at least the New York Attorney General is looking at another avenue uh, of potential liability, and that's through uh, deceptive practices. The issue is that, and this again, it's, it's highlighted in Duncan, but this, this is often a common theme. What is disclosed in privacy policies, what is disclosed in communications to customers, and what the actual truth is, can be two different things. Well, the New York AG is is at least pursuing, as of now, a claim that that constitutes an unfair and deceptive trade practice, uh, which is a new piece of liability uh, that isn't talked about a lot. It's not new; it's old, but it's a it's a new concept in application to privacy. And 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 another thing I want to touch on that you you had you had talked about was the issue of they had the policies, and this goes back to the culture. The compliance, the enforcement, oftentimes it's really hard. The higher up you go in an organization, it can be harder and harder to try to enforce policies. Exceptions start to pop up. We need this. We need that. Those exceptions, there are a lot of times where they are absolutely valid. However, not every exception is valid. And not every exception needs to be an ongoing and a perpetual. So part of that culture discussion, part of that policy discussion has to be, how do we address enforcement? You don't necessarily want to knock on the president of the company or the CEO's door and say, uh, you have to stop using this particular piece of software. It's, it's not allowed. Um, you know, that that's a tough conversation to have. And it's one that a lot of people just avoid having. But that opens up liability. Every single every single employee, no matter no matter their rank, no matter their position, poses a potential risk. And if that's not the culture at the top, it won't be the culture at the bottom. And your risk just keeps on growing. So have your policies, enforce your policies and train everybody on the policies. And by everybody, I do mean everybody. Um, and make sure that everybody's complying. You don't have to be heavy-handed with it to get compliance. That doesn't generally work. And it also doesn't mean that you have to make it impossible to, to do any work, impossible to access any systems, just in the, the, the name of security. This is a measure of balance. This is a measure of risk. Whatever needs to be done that's appropriate for the organization, do that but make sure that you do it consistently. Make sure you follow where you're at, or you could wind up same place Duncan is. I, I think that's such a great point, and I think with as dynamic of an environment as cybersecurity is with the way hackers are constantly coming up with new ways to approach this, it isn't something that you can do one year, check off, and then come back to it in a three-year cycle. You're organization is going to get hit. You are going to have issues with it. You have to be vigilant with this. We're in a world where there's really just no other choice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the, the, this is an ongoing. Um, this is not the uh, this is not set it and forget it. 
we we really can't take that approach to security, can't take that approach to privacy. Uh, if you if you were good six months ago, you might not be good now. And you also may have to start looking in different places and in different areas. Um, I've worked on on some issues where a breach happened, but it happened five years ago and we didn't find out about it. And so it's it's not just having your policies, but it's also developing your technology, developing uh, your expertise so that you can go back and look and you know what the attack vectors have looked like in the past, what they're starting to look like so that you can evaluate what's going on today because it is it's a little bit tough and i can tell you from a reputational standpoint for those that i've worked with where they had a breach that was years and years ago and they're only now finding out about it that leads to some tough conversations leads to some tough questions and it's not just tough questions from regulators we deal with those it's tough questions from customers it's tough questions from employees those are the ones that are a lot harder and the ones that are easier to avoid by being ready so to summarize Focusing security efforts solely on personal data, not paying sufficient attention to the company's cyber liability policy and other relevant insurance policies, and having a reporting structure that does not sufficiently grant authority to personnel are issues that many companies are just not focusing on, um, but would be well advised to do so. Simply spending some time and some energy evaluating your company's awareness of these issues could greatly enhance your company's overall security profile and decrease its risk profile. We hope you found this podcast useful and can take some of the guidance provided here back to your organization. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.